Well, the headline with Hazel Chu usually reads something along the lines of Hazel Chu is the ninth female Lord Mayor of Dublin and the firstborn to migrant parents and the first person of colour to hold the role. And that's all important. But behind that is a story of tireless work to become the first person in her family to attend third level education and a commitment to do work to help others that I think is unmatched. Despite that, she faces torrents of abuse online on a daily basis, simply for looking the way she looks and her heritage. This week it reached ahead with an incident that I won't even dignify by repeating here, but needless to say, all of this takes a toll on a person's mental health. I approached the Lord Mayor because of that and because many moons ago we briefly worked in student politics together. She is my friend and someone of immense mental strength. I also wanted to put this conversation together with her because I specifically want to point people in the direction of our chosen charity partner Jigsaw.ie, an Irish mental health charity unlike any other in that they offer online services specifically for young people. You can of course ring up with their other services but their online services there's no referral and people can speak to somebody straight away which we all know is crucial. They also have uh, locations across the country in Cork, Donegal, Dublin, Galway, Kerry, Leash, Offaly, Limerick, Meath, Roscommon. Jigsaw is incredible but their online service is accessible across the whole country at all times and I love that and they need us to spread the word of course and they need our help to keep going so why not pop over there and have a look at jigsaw.ie this week or maybe stick a tenner in there to help them deal with the influx of covid related issues that they're obviously seeing at the moment this is of course just a snippet of my conversation with hazel chu to hear the full thing including why she wouldn't shake the hand of donald trump and her thoughts on the controversial decision to to seal the records of mother and baby homes in Ireland, pop over to Patreon and sign up. There's never really been a better time. With our US series, Irishman in America, with the always brilliant Marion McKeown getting an extension in the light of the continued turmoil since the election, you can hear every minute of that. Our entire archive, our spin-off series with Sonia Sullivan, our true crime series and more for a reduced price this week. That's right, for a very short period I'm offering a 15% discount on annual membership of Irish Man Abroad. Pay once, get podcasts for the year for less than a fiver a month. I can't do better than that over at patreon.com forward slash Irish Man Abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has 
a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Lord Mayor Hazel Chu, it is fantastic to have you on Irishman Abroad at this really unusual time, maybe the most unusual time in Irish history. We initially discussed having you on the show around the time of World Mental Health Day, but in many ways, every day is World Mental Health Day in the current situation. How is the feeling on the ground there back at home? given that a lot of our listeners feel this real separation from knowing and getting that feeling of what Ireland is going through right now. Well, well, firstly, hello. uh, (laughs) And thanks for having me. Uh, But Ireland right now is going through what we call lockdown 2.0. Some people call it. It is level five restrictions at the moment. So it is uh, the highest level of restriction uh, where we are asking that essential services are only the ones uh, opening and working and that people stay at home remotely and uh, people do have bubbles if you live alone. And I think the bubble actually factor has helped a lot this time around because we realize, and it's not rocket science, that when you live alone, be it that you're younger or older or you're single parent, it's very, very tough on your mental health. And the overall pandemic has been tough on people's mental health. And we see it across the board. Uh, many charities uh, and NGOs have come out with stats to say that there has been an increase in phone calls when it comes to mental health uh, health lines and services. And there is an increase in funding in the area, but we need to do more. I think we need to acknowledge that this is going to be a massive issue and we need to then prepare a roadmap it and see what we can do and i don't think we're quite at that stage yet at the moment yeah i mean our own chosen charity partner who i reference every single week on the show is jigsaw.ie or a youth mental health charity that work on they describe it as providing young people with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life now life isn't what life used to be if you think about our own time we're basically the same age growing up in 90s ireland as teenagers the challenges of being a young person back then were so different to now i don't know how they're coping with this 400 percent leap in demand is what jigsaw have been saying is 400 percent leap in demand for their services you must understand this better than anybody given that you yourself struggled with your mental health as a youngster yeah, and I think I I have to say I I really feel for young people. I like I I think we all sympathise with a lot of people across the board these days, but for young people especially because at the end of the day they. Like the young, the young people I spoke to were looking forward to uh, at first kind of summer leaving certs, then uh, that and that got all changed, and then it was going back to school, and that was different. And like you talk about Jigsaw there, and they do incredible work between them and Spung Out and others. They do a whole like a, a, a massive amount of work for young people, and it's great that we have charities like themselves because. 
a lot of times people go, oh, well, you know, if you're young, you have your whole life to look ahead, uh, your whole life ahead of you. Like, you don't have too much to worry about. You just have to worry about school. You have to worry about this and that. Like, there, there's not much there for you to worry about. That is the first line I generally get when we talk about how young people have a lot to worry about and may have mental health issues because as you pointed to when I was a teenager I would have gone through depression anxiety and it wasn't until I found the right support that that helped a lot and people would have looked at me and kind of said well she looks fine and she shouldn't have anything to worry about she has a roof over her head and a a mother at home that puts food on the table and she's going to a good school blah 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 but no one knows what happens behind the scenes and no one knows what happens in someone's head and that's that's the thing when we talk about young people we tend to talk about them and at them rather than to them which is what is a key thing we need to start changing and you have the likes of Jigsaw that does that really well because they talk to the young people they talk and ask what they want like I my other half was a child protection social worker for 15 years and one of the first things he would say to you is don't treat them as if they don't know anything they know a lot more than you and me so and don't treat them as if they don't feel anything as well just because they're ha- smiley happy clappy so uh, like half the time most young people worry the same things we worry about so and for them it's even a bigger worry in terms of well do they have a future there so and what what is going to happen to their future that we're seeing into like uh, and this is why you have things like the climate strikes that had massive amounts of young people in and because they saw that it was their future in their hands and when we look at mental health I look at the last couple of months and I was really quite disappointing disappointed when people started pointing fingers they started going oh well you know it's the young people ruining stuff it's the parties in this house or it's the house parties and it's this party down in uh, in this area but the thing is there is no point in pointing the fingers. And the other thing is, you got to ask, how could you possibly thought keeping people indoors was a great idea without providing them with an alternative? Because with adults, at least they were going to work, they were seeing people, they were kind of interacting. With teenagers and younger people, they weren't going to school. So they, they weren't going to school, they weren't able to see their friends. So if there are blips along the road of things happening. You can't generalize and say it's all young people's fault because it's not. So, and I think there's a lot of this that is about sharing and understanding where young people and like even younger people are coming from. So, I mean, it's 100% right. They also crave it more. I remember not being able to think about what I would do if I didn't get to see people at that age and just even the prospect of any any kind of extended time without contact with my friends was unconscionable uh, as a teenager. I get the impression that with a, a, a lot of the mental health problems we see in young people is the lack of escape. In some ways, I loved being able to close the door after school. I just loved the idea that I could retreat home and it was not constant, whereas that is not the option here for these youngsters. Their social interaction continues online 24-7 and they wake up to it every day. 
can we maybe dig into, you know, where your mental health journey began there and that you started to recognize these issues you were having and how much they were connected to being different and being in a family that was looked at and regarded as, while part of the community, still something to gawk at. <laughs> the gawking part is funny. And I laugh because there were times I was gawked at when I was uh, younger, so uh, and a teenager as well. There's a story I tell where my granny, who is illiterate, would get her neighbour to write um, our names on a anything she's sending to us and it would say Chew and Selbridge at the time and she will send it. She didn't realise there was middle parts of that uh, address and she will send it and it will get there. I will get there and will Amazing. actually get to my door and that's because we were the only Chinese family at the time to, uh, in Selbridge and that's the thing, that's the novelty factor and the novelty factor where there is that, well, y- y- you kind of go, oh, they're, they're new and special and, and shiny and uh, it's not a bad thing and and sometimes being gawked at isn't a bad thing it's it's the step after that of what happens with the being gawked at so and this is the i think part of the issues during my teenage years that sense of and a lot of teenagers would feel it that sense of not belonging so uh anywhere and you, you don't have to have different skin color to feel that but when you have different skin color what will happen is you will you, you will be looked at and then you will be asked the inevitable questions of where you come from and no matter what you answer they will still ask well where do you really come from so and and then it's that sense of almost shame and judgment of you're different. Like there's been plenty of times as a teenager, I and a kid, it started off quite early when I was a child, of looking in the mirror and wishing I was different. So I'm wishing that I was the same as everyone else and that they wouldn't uh, taunt me or, or, or uh, bully me over something I couldn't change. And as you grow up, you realize, well, you know what, feck it. Like, so differences should be celebrated and differences should be embraced. And if people can't see that, then it's their loss. But it takes a long time to get to that point of being comfortable. It, it takes a long, like I, I look at my brother and I don't think he's ever comfortable, but then he had he had been hopped on, literally. He had physical violence set upon him because of his, his um, skin colour. So I think for him, it, it's it's hugely traumatic. But for me, even with the odd kind of fights that I got into and people taunting me or hopping on me because of, of what I looked like, it got to a stage where you become more comfortable. And I'm not saying that, that was that's right, that you have to be comfortable with things like that. But I think that it's part of that kind of mental toughness you have to develop. And it's it's a shame that you have to develop that. But in, as you mentioned, a society where it is constant, like I turn on my uh, feed every morning and there's at least one, if not more, messages somewhere calling me something to do with my skin color or to do with the C word combined with this uh, <laughs> uh, 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 skin color. So uh, I don't know whether cursing on your show is allowed or not, by the way. So I'm, I'm kind of restraining myself. So, but uh, yeah, so so you have things like that happening every day and it, it's constant, but it's it's to your point that people can't shut down. And there's been plenty of people who say to me, oh, why don't you just turn it off and you'll be fine then. But the thing is, it's the same thing 
you say to kids, why don't you turn it off? You, uh, you'll be fine. Then you can't turn it off. There is, uh, for my job, I definitely can't turn it off. For kids, when they turn it off, they feel like there's a huge part of them also missing, that they're missing out, that there is some that the world continues to carry on and they're missing on it. For me, if I turned off the likes of Twitter or, or Facebook or Insta uh, or any of the social, then what will happen is I end up missing things in terms of my work. I get a lot more done with messages via Twitter that people tell me about of things that need to be fixed and via email. But that doesn't mean that people who come at me should be allowed either. And that's an element of cop on on their, on their side. But you know what? I, I, no matter how much I tell people to cop on, they don't seem to. So, mm. so that's another, another uh, battle altogether. Well, here's the thing, right? You and I go way back. And uh, into politics, I mean, student politics is where you and I first crossed paths uh, working on campaigns. And, you know, at that time, really, I really do look back on that time and how different it was in the so many ways. But even let's just look at it from I remember like Michael Moore was the big thing at the time. And probably Jimmy Carr was the big comedian. And there was so much of the humour that we would witness in speeches, on podiums, at events, was soaked in this kind of postmodern irony that you could say sexist and, well, we'll get to the racism in a minute, but you could say certain things that were close to the knuckle under the veil of humour. And... Uh, well, I'm clearly not a sexist person. That's why I can make this joke. Um, <laughs> you you recognise what I'm talking about here, right? I do, you, I do. Yeah, and, but weirdly, race, as blind as we were at the time to so many things and so much alienation and uh, neglect, let's face it, just the actual lack of time that was devoted to diversity, inclusion, and just thought, just thought. It was never one that was on the table for, I felt like that was off limits, like that, you just you couldn't do anything that was in any way racist or even close to racist in terms of humour. What I'm getting to here, Hazel, is that there was a turn. There's obviously a turn when it feels like in Irish society and in global culture, that it started to become okay to voice counter-cultural, counter-woke opinions on minorities. When, if you agree with me on that taking place, do you think it took place? I like to think when one of the biggest comedians in the world got hold of Twitter and became the American president and became able to uh, say all these things was when it turned, but it was before that. So uh, it was much before that. And and this is the thing. I, I think uh, the likes of your Trumps and the far- Farages of the world made it acceptable So uh, to, to be overtly racist. And what happened was then you would have 
people who think, well, it's okay to use it as a joke and a punchline as well, because your world leaders are doing it. So absolutely, it's fine. But I actually think it was even a couple of years before that. I'm not quite sure at quite the moment, but it did become quite obvious then, uh, like race and diversity could become a punchline for people. And you know what, in sometimes some cases, when comedians talk about it in a very kind of advocating that racism is bad way, but still using the whole area as a joke, that that is acceptable. So to me, I think it's it, it's quite acceptable to, to be able to talk about quite serious matters, but have to have it as an angle that people be, uh, people are more susceptible to it because it is uh, funny. But at the same time, unfortunately, then you have the counter side of that where people do come out with crap and think it, it's, it's, it's funny when it's not. So, and you have this kind of, your point of, you have kind of almost uh, this kind of for and against side of things showing out on a world stage, be it through shows, be it through online platforms, but it's always done by people who are prominent then. And like, I, I think that was in the last couple of years. So I would like to say, I would like to all pin it on down on Trump and, and his reign, but I think it was longer than that. Mm, yeah, but these things... 2016 over here uh, in terms of Brexit, it really became, you know, to avoid cliches, like it was a lightning rod and it drew things to the surface. I like to think that the equality referendum proved everything you hoped might be true of Irish people and the Brexit referendum proved everything you feared might be true over here and (laughs) (laughs) but they you know you you lived through all of this and i wondered before we came on if i was blind if maybe i pinned all of this on 2015 16 onwards when in fact 20 years ago in university college dublin when we were working on these campaigns that uh, I was oblivious to, you know, some of the pain and stuff that you were going through at that time. I mean, obviously, there's stuff there that you've referenced from your childhood that has an impact on you. I've done significant reading and listening to you speak on the subject and the abuse that your mother suffered at work and how that frightens a life out of you. It all has an impact. It all has, you know, a death by a thousand cuts. The ashtray, I, I, yeah. I still remember. Yeah. Um, Maybe tell the listeners what that <laughs> what that was, because I, I'm not sure they'd all know about this. The ashtray was when my mum runs a restaurant in Dublin. And uh, at the time, I was quite young when I was told she had been taken by ambulance hospital because what had happened was a group of customers refused to pay the bill and their excuse for not paying the bill was that they were 
residents of the country they were Irish and she was not and that she was just a guest and she they shouldn't have been they shouldn't need to pay her for food that they had just consumed and then they got quite aggro when mum insisted and the staff insisted and next thing you know she got an ashtray whacked against her head by by one of the uh, in, individuals and this turned out into a massive fight then so and the guards were called and and that was I was quite young then and I remember thinking at the time oh my god is this what happens when my mother goes to work and you, you no kid should need that no kid should need to worry and like you you have people who work in situations that have to encounter uh, instability every day but you shouldn't have to when you work in a restaurant and the only reason she did was because of uh, her skin color and I, I found that more than a little unfortunate that that was what was happening in, in Ireland but that was also sporadic so to your point on during college, would there have been things that's like that happening? I think less so during college. I think, thankfully, thanks to the likes of yourself and other friends, it was a bubble. For me, there was a nice bubble there and cushion there of people who were like-minded, who were uh, who were friendly and not racist, and uh, they they were they were incredible. And I still have all all those friends, thankfully, so or most of those friends. Um, but like you. When you get outside the bubble, though, you do realize it's happening because, again, that incident I talked about, about my brother being hopped on, that was when I was in, was in college. He's 10 years younger than me. So I was in college when, as a teenager, he was being hopped on by, by kids for being a chink. And you start to realize, well, these things are still happening even when you're in a bubble yourself. And so... It's been going on for a while. And this is the thing with, I think people look at Black Lives Matter and the movements that we have and go, oh, this is incredible. We're we're building strength and we're finally talking about this and understanding this. Those movements have been around for a long time. There have been people working, like, like your likes of your Rosa Parks were there before a movement happened. So, and those discriminations were there before these movements happened. It's amazing that we have those movements, but the question is, what the hell are we going to do about it now? So like we can have plenty of protests on the streets, but are, are people going to push their governments to do better or are people within governments going to do better is my question. And also as a society, are we going to do better? Because there's only so much you can put down when it comes to hate crime and govern for. What are you as active citizens in the society going to do? Are you going to call it out? Or are you going to stand by and watch it? Well, there it is, right? That's where we get to. And that's, that's the big one. And I can't, uh, I, I can't answer it. But I know that the two things that we've talked about mostly here are directly linked in that we talk about mental health a lot. We talk about how we need to come to an understanding and remove the stigma around mental health. And people will say that a lot has been done. But in the same breath as we say these things are still going on and we're in a period when it seems people will voice these anti-minority sentiments more freely. I don't know how far we've progressed with our mental health awareness and 
removal of stigma because so much of it is silent. I mean, you kind of can't, if somebody has a stigma against people who express or open up about their mental health, they don't generally voice it. They'll generally just quietly make biased decisions. Am I like, you get what I mean here? That like they're just going quietly to themselves. Well, I won't bother that person or consider them for X promotion or responsibility because they themselves. So there you have it. That's just a snippet of this conversation with Lord Mayor of Dublin, Hazel Chu. I loved this chat. There's so much more to it. As I said, we get into her thoughts and reasons for not shaking the hand of Donald Trump and her thoughts on the controversial decision to seal the records of mother and baby homes in Ireland. You really need to hear the rest of this. I mean, all these conversations that I put out a snippet of on iTunes need to be heard in full to appreciate, you know, how a conversation goes. There's so much more. I want you to come over and hear it. As I said, I've included a little discount this week to make it even better because I recognise that everybody has a little bit less. So come on over patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Enjoy that discount that I've put together specifically for you. If you've been reluctant, I could really do with it too. I mean, I need you to sign up uh, so that I can keep making this show. Uh, you pay for all sorts, right? You pay for all sorts of stuff. I'm giving you this podcast for free for seven years. This sign up will cost you less than a fiver a month. And I promise you, I will keep giving you great episodes for the year uh, and onwards. It's uh, It doesn't take long couple of clicks then you make one more click and it loads up in whatever podcast app you're in and you're back to listening to the podcast as normal just now you've access to hundreds and hundreds of episodes you wouldn't have had access to and the full episode each week and you also have a spring in your step and knowing that you're helping this podcast to continue Massive thanks to John Marr for his extra research this week, Brian Connolly for his production, and Tina Mikey for making it all possible. Head over to jigsaw.ie if you're not going to come to Patreon and at least check them out this week. But if if you're up for, up for it, I'll be over there at Patreon waiting for you. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad.